I believe it's going to be great. Praise God. Any other announcements, Kathy, you can think of before we get into this now? Okay. Food ministry? Ministry forms. Well, we'll just say this in the end. That's fine. All right. Everybody ready to go through Second Peter? Well, I didn't know this many people want to hear about the fall of Satan. I mean, I said Sunday, we're going to talk about the fall of Satan, and we've increased. But I'm not going to preach Satan every week. <laughs> All right. Let's stand together, and we're going to get into the, the meat of the Word tonight. This is really um, a meaty letter, and this is really kind of uh, digging into some T-bone tonight. I'm always amazed when I, when I teach this that Simon Peter was just a crusty old blue-collar fisherman when Jesus got a hold of him, and now here he is teaching these profound things. And so uh, let's, let's read verse 5 in 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going back to last week, to the last verse from last week, because verses 5 and 6 kind of run together. But let's read 5 and 6 together and uh, then we'll teach it, okay? But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's Word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, now drop down, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Father, we thank You for Your Word tonight. Speak to our hearts, and we thank You for giving us understanding opening our understanding, open our, opening our eyes that we may see what you're saying to the church tonight. Now, can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to my heart tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Bless you. Now, remember, we're talking about these false teachers, and we finished last week with this, this that, that Peter is homing in on. <clears throat> he is saying that these false teachers have deliberately forgotten, have deliberately placed out of their minds something very, very important. Uh, when he says they deliberately forget, it literally means, but this escapes them of their own will. Or they shut their eyes to this fact. Well, what, what is the fact that they were willfully forgetting? Now, how many of you have realized and, and noticed this about yourself that you do have the ability to put some things out of your mind? The, the same wordplay is used when Paul says, forgetting what lies behind. The Greek word translated into forgetting there means that you intentionally put something out of your thinking. You don't have to think about some things. I personally believe if you're going to put something out of your thinking, you've got to replace it with something else. And that's why the renewing of the mind is a process of erasing and replacing. Erasing the wrong kind of thinking and replacing it with God's thinking. But now, this ability to put something out of your mind works for the, the good and for the bad. If you're supposed to forget something from your past, forgetting what lies behind, quit thinking about that fall. Quit thinking about that thing that scared you. Quit thinking about that rejection. Renew your mind with the Word of God and erase those things and replace them with truth. But it works against us if something we're supposed to remember, we're putting out of our mind. Now, here's what Peter is saying. 
these false teachers had been putting out of their minds something that they should have remembered. They were putting out of their minds that God had once judged the world. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. The reason they put that out of their mind is because they knew they were teaching false teaching, heresy. So in order to sort of um, anesthetize their own minds, they, they put this whole memory of God bringing judgment on people who sinned against him, they put it out of their minds because they didn't want to think about themselves being judged. So Peter says, they can walk around saying they don't remember this all they want to, but I'm telling you the truth, they have put this out of their minds on purpose. They are intentionally forgetting. That's what he's saying now. Now, verse 6, wow, what a mind-blowing verse here. Because he says, here's what they put out, that the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Say, oh, well, he's talking about Noah. He's talking about Noah. No, he's not talking about Noah. And here's how we know. The key to understanding this verse is the word world. The world that then was. It's the Greek word cosmos. Cosmos. We get cosmos, obviously, from that. Cosmos, which speaks of a system, and this is very, very important now. It speaks of a system where order prevails. Cosmos means something that is in order. It is sound. It's, it's ordered. Order is prevailing. Well, we know that in Noah's day, the cosmos, the world, was certainly not in order. It was in such terrible sin that God finally judged it with a flood. So we know that he would not use this word talking about Noah's world. So we're not talking about Noah's world. He's referring to the original perfect system of the material universe of Genesis 1-1, spoken into existence by the Word of God. And we can all quote Genesis 1-1, can't we? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Cosmos. It was perfect. When God created the world, it was perfect. The surface being made up of land masses surrounded by water. This earth, Peter says, being overflowed with water, perished. Well, what in the world is that all about? This refers to the cataclysmic events of Genesis 1-2, where we read, let's read it together, and the earth became without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It went from order in Genesis 1-1 to chaos in Genesis 1-2. And the only way you're going to know that is if you go to the original language. This is where the original language really does matter a lot. Okay? Now, what in the world happened between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2? Well, it's very clear in the Bible. It's really not a mystery. Between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, Satan, then Lucifer, rebelled against God. This was the judgment upon the fall of the angel Lucifer and the apostasy of the pre-Adamic race. There was a world before this one. There was a pre-Adamic or pre-Adamic creation. 
there was a pre-Adamic world between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Now stay with me on this because it's very clear, and, and I think it'll become more clear as we go along. Now, look what Isaiah speaks about what happened with Lucifer. We know that he was an archangel. We know that he had tremendous authority and power. Uh, we know that there is a hierarchy among angels. I'll give you an example of this hierarchy. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against, and he, he gives a four-part hierarchical structure. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, if you were to look at those in the Greek language they were written in, you would know that principalities and powers are the lower rung. Then you get to the rulers of the darkness of this world. He's climbing now. Until you get spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And there you have sort of the top of the hierarchy of fallen demon spirits. Now, here's a great example. You remember when Daniel was fasting and praying for an answer about what was going to become of Jerusalem and of God's people. You can read about this in the book of Daniel. And he's praying. And 21 days into fasting and praying, 21 days, suddenly a mighty angel appears to Daniel. And he says these words, from the very first day that you began to pray, the day number one when your prayers ascended to heaven, I was dispatched with the answer. I was given the answer and I was coming to you with it. But the prince of Persia, now he's talking about a spirit being, withstood me until finally Michael, the archangel, had to be dispatched to fight him on my behalf so that I could bring you the answer that you wanted. Now here's the answer. Now that is just like God lifting the veil, drawing the curtain back, and letting us see what happens in the spiritual world, the fourth dimension. How many times do you and me pray for something, and, and the very minute we pray, God dispatches the answer, but there is a holdup, there is a hindrance, there is something that is fighting you. And you don't see it, but you don't see the wind either. You go out the morning after a tornado, and you see incredible damage, but you never saw that wind. You just saw what it did. And it's the same thing with a spiritual battle. You can see the damage, but you never saw the creatures or the beings that were behind it. You don't have to because the Bible has now shown us what's behind that veil. So there is a hierarchy. There is, a, there is a, an authority structure in the spirit world. And of course, they all answer now to Lucifer, to Satan, the Lord of the Flies, Beelzebub, their leader. Now, here is what happened with him. And, and here, here he was. Now, before I read this, I'm going to tell you, it, it seems to me Lucifer, before he fell, was in the pre-Adamic world, Genesis 1-1. God created an ordered world, cosmos. And apparently he had a real place there, an authoritative place. And something happened. Something happened. And Isaiah tells us, 
How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, now here is what Satan said in his heart. Here was the beginning of his fall. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne, my throne, above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So here you had <clears throat> mutiny on the bounty. You had mutiny in the spirit world. And you had this incredibly powerful archangel, but created, not creator, created. And anything created can never be greater than that which created it or him or her. You can't be greater than what created you. That's why it is idiotic to rebel against God. He created you and me. And Lucifer got lifted up with pride. And he said in his heart, I'm overthrowing God. I'm going to overthrow God. And it says he, he ascended. Well, God is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. He knew that this archangel, amazingly powerful, is headed up towards heaven to overthrow him. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw it. Well, there's Jesus accessing the reality of his deity. Because how in the world did he see Satan fall like lightning out of heaven unless he was before he was ever born. And he was there when it happened. And he saw it. And Satan was judged by God. And he was hurled to the earth, a disembodied spirit, stripped not of his power, but of his place. He still has, has his power, but now it's wicked power. It's used for wicked means. But he lost his place. He lost his place with God, and he lost his place in God's creation. Now, apparently, when God judged him and hurled him to the earth, judged Lucifer, the archangel, and he became Satan, then the world that then was, was judged. The world that then was, isn't that what Peter said? The world that then was, was judged. Now, it's real easy to see uh, sort of a chronology here this way. Remember, when Satan approaches Eve in the ancient Garden of Eden, he's not approaching Eve as Lucifer, the archangel. Something has happened to him. Something has gone really wrong with him. Because he approaches her utilizing the body of a snake. And he is evil. He's manipulative. He's deceitful. And he's evil. And he's attacking God's creation. The summit, the prize of his creation. The best of his creation. He's not messing with the lions and tigers and bears. He's attacking the, the, the supreme prize of God's creation. And he goes to the woman. 
And his intent is evil. He lies about God. He lies about life. He lies about God's intent. He lies about God's character. And his whole motive, his modus operandi, is to bring her into a fallen state. To get her to disobey God on eating that one tree, from that one tree that God has forbidden. And we know that tree was there for one reason. God made you and me uh, beings with free will. And he put that tree there so that we would not be automatons or robotic or robots. He put it there for as long as they resisted that tree, they were choosing to serve God. But when they ate of that tree, they fell. And Satan knew, if I can lie to them, lie about God's intent, lie about God's motive, lie about the character of God to them, and get them to not trust God, I will cause them to eat, and I will bring mankind under my power. I will cause them to fall, and I will corrupt the entire human race. And that was his intent, and that's what he succeeded at. For in Adam we all fell, in Adam we're all guilty, and that's why the first Adam made us guilty, the second Adam makes us righteous. The first Adam killed us, the second Adam gave us life. The first Adam took us to hell, the second Adam took us to heaven. But, but, amen. So, apparently now, with him, when he did this, when he ascended and went to overthrow God, apparently... According to the scriptures, a third of the angels were successfully manipulated into following him in this debacle. And now they are principalities and they are powers and they are rulers of the darkness of this world and they are spiritual wickedness as like Daniel's angel encountered in heavenly places. I believe they actually... Those ones, those spirits that are in heavenly places, spiritual wickedness in high places, actually dominate cities. They, they, you, you can travel around. You can see, you go to New York, you feel a certain thing over a city. You can come here to Dallas, especially if you've been away for a while and come back. You can see an oppression and a particular kind of a grip that evil seems to have on a city. Those spiritual wickedness in high places are betwixt us and heaven, and they, they seek to exercise control and influence and rule over geographical locations. And often when you're interceding and praying for revival, it is those spirits whose power is weakened and driven back and satanic assignments are canceled and God's angels and God's power and God's anointing and victory are released over a place. you got to pray a hole through heaven or the spirits in heavenly places. Everybody with me? That's why I tell you, you know, the Bible, the real truth that's found in the Scriptures, it puts Steven Spielberg to shame. Talk about Star Wars. Talk about Darth Vader. This is the real Darth Vader. Okay? Uh, So when he approaches Eve in the ancient Garden of Eden, he's inhabiting a serpent's body, has already been judged, and is the avowed enemy of God. 
attacking his new creation. So something happened before Adam and Eve. What was it? It happened in the world that then was. The world that then was. God destroyed it with a flood. It seems that when God wanted to wipe out life on a planet or an entire planetary way of life, he chose water. I think that's why he put the bow in the sky, the rainbow in the sky, and assured Noah, I'll never do this again. I will never destroy the earth with a flood again. Because this was the second time. I personally believe this. I think it's real possible. This explains the dinosaurs. Because we know geologically from finds that they, they quickly disappeared for some reason. And scientists conjecture, well, was it a meteorite that fell out of the sky? Something happened. And, and, and they say things like a meteorite struck the earth and the earth filled with ashes that suffocated these dinosaurs and they died. But that's all speculative. What could have happened is they were part of that pre-Adamic creation. And when God judged Satan and wiped out the world that then was, we have fossil remains of it. I don't know. There are some things that are a mystery, and I'll tell you why. Because God, does, God will give you a little bit, but he doesn't want you dwelling on minors and missing the majors. The major is he sent his only begotten son to the world to redeem us from sin. But this is the testimony of the Word of God, the world that then was. Now, these false teachers have purposefully pushed out of their minds that God brought fierce judgment against Lucifer and the pre-Adamic world and therefore would not hesitate to judge them. They don't like thinking about that. It's worth noting, I think, that the theory of evolution starts with chaos, the Big Bang. And of course, and I almost got kicked out of science class one day when the teacher was teaching this Big Bang theory, and I said, well, where did all the things come from that blew up? He said, that's getting into theology. We don't do that here. Oh, well, you color me stupid. Then I'll just walk out of here and say a bunch of gases were swirling around, and there was a big bang, and everything that we see came from that. And, and we, our ancient ancestors, crawled out of some ancient distant sea as amoeba and then grew legs like frogs and then stood on two feet and we all came from that come on God said let there be now uh, it's worth noting oh yeah and the New Testament writer though using cosmos describes the original condition of the universe as one of perfection not chaos it started out in perfection and went down. Not chaos and went up. Translation, can we read it together? For concerning this, they willfully forget that heavens existed long ago and earth out of water as a source and by means of water, cohering by the word of God through which the ordered world of that time, having been deluged by water, was ruined. Read verse 7 with me. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, 
think about what we're reading here. Because the world that then was was flooded with a great flood and wiped out. But the world that we're in right now, time and space, breathing the oxygen, eating the food, this world has been reserved by God for fire. It's all going to burn up. Peter tells us later that the elements, all the elements, are going to melt with a fervent heat. Everything that is material, that is atomic in structure, is going to melt with a fervent heat. Everything is going to be burned up. Now, kept in store means to gather and lay up, to store up. It's sort of like you're, you've got something laid aside for a particular purpose, with a per- particular destiny. And, and he's telling us this, this world has been laid aside, has been reserved, is being kept, stored by God for a judgment of fire. Now let's read about that judgment. One commentator writes this, this present condition of the heavens and the earth, that of being stored up awaiting fire, is being constantly maintained, reserved, and guarded with a view to the day of judgment of ungodly men, the great white throne judgment, which will occur at the close of the the millennium, at which time the wicked dead, fallen angels, and demons will be judged to be sent to an eternity of suffering, banished from the presence of a holy God. Well, I'll tell you, I read that, and it just makes me tremble a little bit. I I read that in humility. I read it uh, with a sense of awe that God has said, you do not sin and get away with it. And and the Christ-rejecting world thinks that they're just going on and, and, well, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with him, and I'm going to live my own way and do my own thing and so on. They don't realize that God has said very well, and they've been laid aside, kept, and are being kept in store for a just a major, formidable, serious judgment. That where look what he says. Uh, he, that verse also says, "Being kept for the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men." Perdition is from a Greek word meaning to be delivered up to eternal misery, to incur the loss of all things that make existence worthwhile. Now, you can say hell is fire. You can say hell is whatever you want to say, whatever you can deal with. I personally have to accept hell and faith. Uh, Not that I want it to be there, but if God tells me it's there, it's there. It runs against my human mind to think that, that souls could end up in a place of eternal misery where they lose uh, the loss of all things that make existence worthwhile. Call it whatever you want to call it. It is utter separation from the life of God. And according to the word here, it, it is an eternal thing. So, thank God for the grace of God with us because you know and I know we would have lived in sin and died in sin if not for the grace of God so this is why we go through these verses everybody because they're so powerful they're so powerful the words the Holy Spirit chose are so powerful 
So can we read the translation? But the present heavens and the earth by the same word have been stored with fire, being kept so guarded. That's my typing. Gosh, I messed up there. So grouted. No. So guarded with a view to the day of judgment and eternal misery of men destitute of reverential awe towards God. Now, he's, this is what he's doing. He's talking about these false teachers and everybody who listens to them. Remember, that's what this is all about, these false teachers. And he's saying, he's saying they are intentionally not thinking about the reality of judgment that came so long ago when God took even his own great archangel and judged him and judged his whole world. They, re, they put that out of their minds. They say, no, that's not real. But they have intentionally forgotten it. So there is a, a value to remembering the reality of judgment against sin. God's going to judge sin. And thank God that on the cross, Jesus Christ took all the punishment he took the blame, he took the guilt, he took it all on himself and died in our stead. For there when the clouds gathered and it was midnight at high noon and Jesus died and there was, there was that deathly silence over all the earth, it was because God was imputing to him our judgment, this judgment. And he took it. Wow. All right, now he's going to talk to us, beloved. Can you say praise God? But beloved, <laughs> as soon as you read that word, then you know he's talking to saved people now. But beloved, let's read it, can we? Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Well, be not ignorant. He's telling us, turn to your neighbor and just tell him, don't be ignorant. Now, we could make that real anglicized and say, don't be stupid. Go ahead and turn to somebody and just tell them, don't be stupid. <laughs> Those of you listening in your cars, just tell yourself, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. Here, that's what he's saying. Don't be stupid uh, on purpose. It means literally to be hidden. The phrase be not ignorant means to be hidden. So Peter is saying, stop allowing this to be hidden from you. Quit putting the truth out of your mind. Stop allowing this to be hidden from you. I know that there are people that do this with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, who, people who are not saved yet. They put the thought of him out of their mind. You could say the same thing to them. Would you quit Letting the reality of Jesus be hidden from you. Let not this one thing escape you. The scoffing false teachers were deliberately allowing the fact Peter wants to bring to their attention to escape them. They were allowing it. They wanted it. And here he comes now. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Now, do you know that Moses said almost the same thing in Psalms 90, verse 4? He says this, for a thousand years, Moses, uh, Moses wrote the 90th Psalm. So, Psalms 90 says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, and like a watch in the night. Think how quickly yesterday went by for you. 
You think about yesterday and there's just a few memories and then it's gone. That's what a thousand years is like to God. Blink. Ah, there went a thousand. Peter's point is that we are not to judge God in the case of delay as we do men. Seeing that his thoughts are not as our thoughts, his timing is not ours. Don't look up and say to God because you're impatient that he has made a mistake. Now, I know none of you ever get impatient with God. That happened only the first week or two after you were born again. But, and now you're, you're perfect in your patience. I know that. But for the sake of the radio people, let's just pretend that we never get impatient with God. Human beings are generally impatient, and this applies to the patient waiting for the second coming of Christ. The false teachers contended that the second coming had not yet occurred after so many years of delay, therefore it will not occur. They were telling people this. But no, he says, no, I'm going to tell you why God is waiting. Here's why God is waiting. Peter's Peter's answer is that God does not look at the passing of time as we do. He, in his eternal being, does not experience time like we do. And the passing of a thousand years is no different to him than the passing of a day, insofar as his predicted actions are concerned. Let's read the translation, then we'll look at why he waits. But this one thing, stop allowing it to be hidden from you, divinely loved ones, that one day in the sight of the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God's not looking at a watch. He's not looking at a calendar. He's not saying, oh no, what are we going to do? Wherever the end is, he's already there. Waiting for everything to catch up with his providence that is moving all of history towards the end of time as we know it right now. Before he begins a thing, he already sees the end, then he steps back and begins it. So here's why he's waiting. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now stop and think about this for a minute. He's holding up. I tell Kathy all the time, we'll watch the news and there'll be something terrible on. And I'll say, man, I say this all the time. If I was God, I'd wrap it all up right now. I'd just wrap it up right now. You know, these suffering children and starving people and crime and mayhem and murder and all that. I said, I'd just wrap it up right now. I wouldn't be able to sit there in heaven knowing I had the power to end it and not end it. But that's because I'm finite in my thinking. I'm, I'm human. God doesn't think like me. He doesn't think like you. Here's what God is thinking. One more. One more. Just one more. One more generation. One more salvation. One more repentant. One more. It must be that this thing called hell is so bad that he would hold up, that he would long suffer with belligerent, obnoxious mankind to wait for one more, that they would not perish. 
one more. And so now when I watch that news, I go, well, if I was God, I'd, end, I'd wrap it all up. But I know what he's thinking. He's thinking one more. Somewhere in the world, somebody's going to say, Jesus, forgive me. One more. Somebody's going to preach the gospel to a crowd of people, and people are going to be say, one more. And, and this is literally the long-suffering, the magnificent, inexplicable long-suffering of God. Look what he says. He's not slack. And that means to delay, loiter, or linger. It can mean to be tardy. It has to do with lateness, with with, uh, reference to an appointed time. In other words, God had made a promise and not kept it is the insinuation from these false teachers. But Peter contends that God is even better than his promise in light of his long-suffering. He's better than his promise that he's coming back for his church. He's better than that promise. There's more to the glory and magnificence and multifaceted beauty of God's character than that He's coming back. He's long-suffering. And that long-suffering says, I could, but I won't because of one more, just one more. Delay does not spring from an unwillingness or impotence on God's part. His will is not even that some should perish. Though that is regarded by Peter as inevitable, some will perish. The word willing, he's not willing, means that it is not God's desire. Though he granted free will to man, that any of them should perish. Each day that ticks by without the return of Christ is a day of opportunity to be saved, granted by the long-suffering of God. Long-suffering comes from a word meaning infinite patience in regard to sinners who put him to the test and they provoke him. That's what long-suffering means. You're, you're provoking him, you're angering him, you're grieving him, but this character attribute of God, this long-suffering nests, says, no, one more. One more. They've got a free will. One more is going to be convicted. One more is going to repent. Peter says that the seeming delay of God in fulfilling his promise of the second advent is not any tardiness on his part to keep giving the human race an opportunity generation after generation to accept the salvation of Christ. Isn't that powerful? Can we stand together and read this this translation out loud and then we'll close. The Lord is not tardy with regard to the appointed time of His promise, as certain consider tardiness, but is long-suffering toward us, not having it as His considered will that certain should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is a good God. This is why we're preaching the gospel, reaching out, because I know He's looking down on, on people who will still win souls and saying, one more, one more. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the truth about our adversary, the devil. We thank you, Lord, that you've brought to our mind the judgment that came on him and the judgment that came on angels and the judgment that came on Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment that came on Noah's day. And you have assured us, Lord, that sin will be answered with judgment unless that sin is forgiven. And we, add, we thank you for the blood that forgives and washes us. 
Lord, help us to be a soul-winning, net-casting church that we can bring in as many as you enable us to do before you really do come again. And it's eternally too late. In Jesus' name. Can everybody say with me one more? One more. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Praise God.